broadcasting live from the Winthrop House. You're now listening to the Safe Negro Podcast Show. Winthrop House guest to another incredible episode of the Safe Negro Podcast Show, featuring one of your hosts, myself, Tatiana King, aka Hippo Light 'em Up. Also joined by the very merched out DJ Ben Amin, aka Blogger. Excellent. And also coming in hot with the Bang Yang, we have. Hi, everyone. It's Portia Patterson Hurst, a.k.a. the invulnerable banging today, I guess. Ooh, yes. Invulnerable black woman. I like your banging, though. Love it. Curls okay. on fleek. Um, thank you all for joining us. As usual, we are here to discuss, review, analyze, and dissect HBO's Lovecraft Country. Today, we are talking about Rewind 1921, episode nine of the show. It is directed by Jeffrey Nachmanoff. Teleplay by Misha Green, Jonathan I. Kidd, and Sonia Winton Odmonton. And for your trigger warnings today, there are racial slurs, homophobic slur, slur, excuse me, gore and blood, and most importantly, the overall killing, death of, terrorism against, and brutality against Black people. I say that with big emphasis because this was a very difficult episode for me to get through i was generally angry throughout most of the episode i know other people will feel differently to varying degrees as they watch at the same time it was it was a lot of triggers and a lot of violence against black people because it's centered around the tulsa massacre but we're going to get into that shortly uh first i just want to congratulate dj benjamin for coining the term blogoth the black shogoth it was actually picked up by the official Lovecraft Country social media account. So make sure y'all hit up HBO, Lovecraft HBO, and let them know how dope we are. Big them up at B- DJ Benamine. Let them know who created that. And also big up to DJ Benamine for the Rockstar remix of the Blogoth scene. That scene where the Blogoth came through and wrecked shop. Gave L's to all the cops in front of the Winthrop house. DJ Benamin being a DJ and being so uh, musically inclined, he remixed that scene with Rockstar from NERD, and it was chef's kiss. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I really, really <laughs> love seeing the reaction to it. Uh, I always love that song, and anytime there are cop cars being burnt, I always think of it. So <laughs> it just always is like the first thing I think of whenever I see a cop car or cops getting wrecked. You can't be me. I'm a rock star. Yeah. I'm riding on the top of a oh. cop car. That, that, that song goes so hard. To this so, day, yeah, that slaps. To this day. So. Yeah, so. Yeah. Yes. Incredible. Classic. Shouts to Danny R.D. Mm-hmm. All right. So, for the also, basic. Uh, before oh, we sorry. Get into excuse it, me. Go you ahead. Know, you know, before we get into it, like yes, you yes. said, I am merched out right now. Merched the fuck out. So, so, we do want to shout out Bounce Comics, you know, who created this, you know, as you see behind me. The get the fuck up. Nawi is a great warrior design, mm. which we have actually sent some to Sufe. As I say that right, Sufe Bradshaw. Sufe Bradshaw, yeah. Sufe yep. Bradshaw, who will be getting their very own. And as you see, I got the shirt, I got the cup. You know, you can get all this on tpublic.com/slash for all nerds. You can pick yourself up a phone case. 
You know I what mean, I mean? Really, it's just beautiful. It goes on and on. I got notebooks. I got all kind of stuff, but that's out of reach right now. But, you know, you see the shirt. Get the fuck up. Now we as a great warriors to design. tpublic.com slash for all nerds. You know, all kind of other stuff popping over there. But make sure you go over there and get you some. And thank you, Chuck, for this creation because I'm loving it. As you see, personally, I copped eight different variations of this design. <laughs> and you have the pillow, don't you? Oh, I got the pillow on the way. Y'all see that next week. <laughs> Trust. You will see that. You will see me sleeping on the pillow as we wrap up our 10-episode discussion of this show. Excellent. Because we can use a break, child. Mm-hmm. Let's get into the basic plot of this episode. Rewind Ooh. 1921. Okay. It's Black to the Future this week as Letty, Montrose, and Atticus travel back to Tulsa, Oklahoma, 1921 in order to find the Book of Names. Ruby makes an ill-advised decision. Christina hasn't learned or hasn't seemed to learn anything from last week's debacle. And Hippolyta once again proves that Black women are the center of the universe. And let's move forward into the themes of the show. The first that we have here is um, a recurring theme uh, and a kind of a, a double entendre, but the idea of returning to the source, the repeating time, even repeating history. And you also see that right in the title of the show, Rewind 21, the fact that this all centers around the gang going backwards in time, going back to the source of uh, a lot of trauma, brutality, but also back to a place where they can potentially save D and that's Tulsa during the Tulsa massacre, literally the day of the Tulsa massacre, which is wild. They are going back, as we know, because they need to retrieve the book of names in order to to heal. And, and please keep me, both of you, please keep me honest. They're getting the book of names for what? Uh, because the book of names contains the magic of their family and spells, et cetera, and mm-hmm. probably some other stuff. And so they hope that they can use it to cure or do something for D. I took it. I mean, yes. Mm-hmm. But also, I just feel like that wasn't well explained in this episode. So no. I kind of took it as like <laughs> the story was finally getting, um, they were finally finding a plot device to get us to the book that we kept seeing hinted at with Hannah like walk, running away with it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I mean, if this is, but do we have to go through like an actual black trauma to, mm. in order to get to this book? Like, could they went back another time? Now, the reason why <laughs> they could have gone back, two but they, days they explained before that, why it had to happen, and I get what yeah. the, what sucks. So, I remember, like you know, how we actually this isn't what the family has in the books. They have the ledger. Um, and the ledger was put into a bank vault and then they get that. And then I can see that also like, this is supposed to be the episode, um, that corresponds with Montrose's journey in the book, whenever he has his own vignette or whatever. And he goes, he goes, he relives his memory in a, in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I see what they were trying to do, but I also was like, but did this, this how he had to do it? Yeah. yeah um, to- they explain it away a little bit because they have no totem if you will to get back to that particular to get back to the family except for the picture that machos has in his pocket and that picture is if, if i'm not mistaken they explain it that picture it might have been i don't know if it was taken the the day i don't know when that picture was taken but it was specifically for that point in time in tulsa i think uh, i'm it was with taken you, that Portia. day for the prom was it taken that day but he got his ass beat that day so i don't think that day you know 
Yeah, I, I don't my, think so. I, I my mind made the assumption, but now that I were thinking about it, was that photo taken? Because the way my mind assumed was, and and what what I believed I heard was that photo was from that day, and they needed, as I mentioned, that that uh, a totem or 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 a I don't have another better word for it, but some type of of item that can help Hippolyta focus in on a certain point in time. She doesn't have coordinates. She doesn't have all this other stuff. So she needs something. And the best thing she has that has sentimental value and something she can focus on mentally because she's controlling this whole process is that photo. Yeah, it's like an artifact. An artifact or something, right. I thought the photo was really just a well shot just to quickly show you about the family or about the father and his sons because he has his arms wrapped around George and Montrose is standing behind the two of them. And, you know, right there just shows shows you everything about how the father feels about, you know, his two sons. The family dynamics. Yeah. They ever mentioned their mom? Like, was their mom alive at this point? (laughs) The the crickets that occurred. Just because whenever, like, he was getting beat on the front lawn, I was like, they don't even have, like, a mom run out or anything. Yeah. That's um, fact. So, is Montrose and and, uh, George, like, Disney princesses? They don't have a mom? guess not so <laughs> that being said uh, another uh, see see ben still thinking about it did they even mention their mom at any point that's what i'm saying whenever they went whenever <laughs> homeboy was over at their other person's house like he was over at dora's house and they didn't say oh where's your wife they was talking about where the kids were and how they had to go after. and then also is he kind is their dad kind of like low-key in that like he's out here like in the timeline like we don't see his dad die Hmm. We're gonna return to this. Let's. I, con- I, I, I'm like, are, are yeah. we about to get clowned by our audience? You know, did we just all miss I'm, the mom? I'm sure someone they under their breath mention mentioned the mother. George, did George or somebody at some point in the eight nine episodes we've been in now have mentioned their mom? Like maybe the mom died earlier. In the book is one thing we understand, but in the show it's a different timeline and other situations going on. If there was a con- a mention anywhere, y'all are listening. Yeah. Tell us. No, no, Atticus mentions. No, no, no. Okay, we're bugging. No, I do remember everything now. His mom is. Atticus mentions his mom. His mom has died earlier. His mom is the one with the magic in the family. But it's that mysterious death and whether but, or not the mom no, is still. But not, when I talk That's, about Atticus' mom, that, we're talking about mom, Montrose, Montrose and, and George's, George's mom. Mm. Where's homegirl? That's what I'm saying. Okay, we're going to move on. Okay, just, 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 just put the bookmark in your mind, all right? Uh, just back to this theme of, of returning to the source, repeating time, r- reversal, if you will, rewinding. The spell that Christina casts, which is, I guess, is supposed to be a temporary reversal of her demonic possession. You see, literally, it, it revert. Like, first of all, her arm was completely black, ravaged out, and the, the black vines or whatever you want, want to call it, the, the, the veins, if you will, go, are, are stem- going towards her face. And it's literally converting her body. So she's turning into a topsy demon, mm-hmm. which was incredible. Because one scene, she just had the bad arm. And the next scene, she was topsy. And I was like, holy shit. Oh, my God. Just, uh, it so reminded me of this song. <laughs> uh, what is that? Uh, I'm going to get you, sucker. But I'm going to have to make that reference online so people will see it now. But, yeah, wow. Okay. Yep. In, and so in that, like, you see this happening. She, D is turning. And that spell that Christina cast reverts Diana's body back to her original state. Her hair got better. 
Ben, we don't need this right now. Uh, <laughs> so bad. During this scene, you see flies and maggots start to appear. The maggots appear on her arm. Flies start buzzing around. For, for those that don't know, maggots are the larvae of flies. That's when they're babies. So you actually see the reversal of a life cycle happening, and it, they appear on and around D as the spell is being cast. And then they turn to flies. Correct. Yep. Um, it was the same thing you saw in the last episode when uh, yeah. he first cast the curse, and you see it on the ground. You see the maggots appear, and then they turn mm -hmm. into flies. And yep. Mm -hmm. Now another thing, flies represent, particularly in biblical terms and other places, flies represent the devil, evil, demonic shit. So, and and Beelzebub, one of the names of the devil, literally means Lord of the Flies. Mm -hmm. So every time these white people cast spells, I'm like, the devil is in the room because. Ain't no way. Ain't no way there is, there is, there's, or they say light magic or white magic going on. Or, or there's white, it's funny because it's kind of a, a reversal of the term white magic. Te mm -hmm. Technically, like when you, when you watch or, or read fantasy stories, white magic is supposed to be that healing, nice magic, and, and the magic that's good, quote unquote. The white magic in this motherfucking show? <laughs> But that, I, I mean, that's the reality of it. You know, like we like we were talking about dark elves and the blog off last week. It's the same thing with black magic and white magic. Why is it said that? You know, why are the black black cats bad luck? Like at this point, it's so ridiculous that we take it all as jokes, but it's all for a reason, folks. There's not, you know, all this stuff is put in place for a reason. It's all the system that keeps reinforcing the idea that black is bad. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Oh, fuck America, man. <laughs> Jesus we're just Christ, this episode. Like, like, we're literally just in the first 10 minutes, okay? Uh, another area where we're talking about, like, the re the rewinding and repetition of time, they're returning back to the Winthrop Observatory. And this is one of the first things that's, I mean, one of the many things, but one of the first things that started pissing me off about this episode. <laughs> uh, they return to the scene of, of, that, of the observatory where they have that multidimensional machine as, as Hippolyta notes. This is what bothers me. And perhaps this might be slightly different when everyone watches, but it's minute about minute 5240, something like that, in this episode where the title card says that they're in Kentucky. And then the next scene, literally the next slide, you see them at the observatory. However, in the I Am episode, Hippolyta found the observatory in Mayfield, Kansas. What the fuck is going on? How is the observatory in one whole state and now in one in one episode and now completely somewhere else in the next? Is the observatory fucking moving? Yes. How? <laughs> <laughs> How? Um, <laughs> like me and Portia were talking about before the show, we think it's just a reference to a lot of different science fiction and fantasy stories once again. Like the Dark Tower in Stephen King's series, the Dark Tower moves throughout the world. The... Um, Lost in, in the TV show Lost, the island moves around. Uh, Portia mentioned uh, okay. Doctor Who's. The TARDIS, yep, moves in through space and time. But also, like, um, in fiction, there's... Um, dang it, I just had it with me. It's a really good one, too. Mm. That's good. You go get it. I'm, I just, yep. I'm, I'm just going to just reiterate again. I thought I was fucking tripping. Yep. I went back to all of our notes. I went back to notes from other 
places and articles. I scrub through both episodes. And the observatory is indeed in two different places. Yeah, the one I was watching from fiction, um, Terry Pratchett, there's mm. a disc world and there's yep. like a, so literally the whole world is on top of the back of a turtle. And it's yep. literally, mm-hmm. that's the whole setup. And Disc World is a reference in Dark Tower because they have he has a giant turtle that's uh, one of the I can't remember what they are, but these great beasts and the giant turtles reference in Disc World and it's always moving as well. Yep. Mm. And also in the reversal rewind theme, we see the cops again trying to restore the captain that after he got fucked up by the blog <laughs> off. They're attaching once again new body parts of more random black people that they kidnap kidnapped. But it doesn't work this time. Humpty Dumpty. Also, that was very gross. They tried to Humpty Dumpty his ass. Boy, it wasn't working this time. No. All, all the and, king's horses and all the king's men. No. And, <laughs> and also in continuation of that theme, Christina mentions that every time she changes back from William, you know, she's William most of the days and she turns back to herself. Every time she changes back from William, it's like William's dying all over again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she wishes she can see that happen to the captain a thousand times over, but she'll she'll be happy just watching him die. And she and I thought that was the most coldest move. Her watching <laughs> the captain, she waited for the light to go out his eye, my guy. Yeah, his and eye. I had to watch the scene a few times to figure out exactly what was going on or what my idea of what's going on is at least. And it seems that that totem that Ruby placed in the desk is used as a regeneration spell but it's used to curse the captain instead with a regeneration that keeps regenerating his wounds no matter how many times the other dudes perform this spell on him of humpty dumpty in his ass for black people (laughs) it doesn't work because the wounds from the blog off just keep on regenerating no matter what and she wishes that she could do something where he would regenerate over and over again but i don't think that's the case here i think she like she said i'll just settle for this one time and watch you die but once again, I feel like Christina does not learn anything or I don't know, because last episode, you know, she had that whole Emmett Till thing, which still, what the still fuck? Still don't make no motherfucking sense. Yep. And this episode, she sits there as Will Stina and watches him die and gives him this look in the eyes as he dies like, oh, that wasn't quite right. You know, like, it's, <laughs> it's, it's like, damn, was that fun? No, it wasn't. You know, it was all that. But it's like, ah, oh, man. Much as I love her, I you know the, the trust level is just like yeah, you know. <laughs> How could you have trust for Christina from jump? I've never had trust for her. Period. I still don't. In the words of Ruby, you won't trust Atticus in his crazy <laughs> ass. You know who do you nobody. trust? All this? Yeah, I don't thank, trust thank not thank single. You. No single thank character you. in here has earned my trust. No there we one. go. There we go. Preach. Not okay. one. <laughs> <laughs> not a one. I wish they had a dog, you know, so it's like, then you could trust the dog. You could D, trust the blog off. D That's their and dog. the blog off. Yes, the blog off, I am definitely putting Can my Can I pet that faith. dog? Yeah, putting my whole faith in that dog, you know. I was going to just say, like, as um, different horror montages and, like, sci-fi montages, like, that kind of, like, the sheriff sort of becomes Frankenstein's monster in a way mm. to Christina's Frankenstein, like, putting in that spell and kind of, like, mm-hmm. setting this whole up, all up. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it's not. It's alive. It's alive. No, no, it's dead. Yeah. We we see kind of, I would say both transformation, but also a, a rewind to things we've seen before, particularly 
Hippolyta returning to embody in the flesh, basically, Arithia Blue. At the point where Atticus is is just coaching her <laughs> almost to to hold on and and keep the portal open when when Hippolyta is put is going beyond her limits at this point. She's Being plus so ultra. Useful. I mean, he just you know like he's there. Like Hippolyta's plus ultra. Hippolyta <laughs> is doing her limit break. <laughs> he's he's, going he's basically it. the guy. Like whenever um, women are giving birth and like the guy, yeah, the guy or whoever is giving birth, um, regardless of gender, never they're giving birth and the, whoever the person is with them that is being their like yeah. coach. Like yeah. you can do it. Coach. You can do it. I know you're dying, but you can do it. <laughs> breathe in. Breathe out. Yeah. Breathe out. Breathe in. No, you're like no, no, no duh. <laughs> So, so he's coaching her, and and at, at that point, I don't know if, if it's the, just the power and electricity and just all of it, just just all of creation going through, flowing through Hippolyta at such a rate that she starts floating in midair, and she she's foaming at the mouth, and her hair turns like this electric blue color, which looks exactly like the character she embodied when she was in that Arithia blue dimension, and she and. In that, in essence, you can say she was she's she's always been Arinthia Blue. I mean, that's what Diana modeled this character after about after her mother. And Arinthia Blue saves Diana in in different ways. And and in reality, Hippolyta, as Diana's mother, she's becoming Arinthia again to save her daughter. Mm-hmm. And it's something like you. I know that something's trying to upset you later on. It's like the Terminator thing, oh. where, it, where it's the predestined of it all. And you know she was always Hippolyta Blue. I mean, well, Hippolyta Blue. No, that's that's facts. Hashtag Hippolyta Blue. There we go. You know, yeah. So there it is. Another term coined by DJ Ben. I mean, ladies and gentlemen, put that put the claps up. Claps up. Clap that up. All right. Thank you. Excellent. We (laughs) (laughs) blog off. This is speaking of the Terminator and and destiny and all this other stuff. This, mm-hmm. this is, again, the part that upset me. When I say upset, I don't mean I'm angry. I'm just upset yep. because it's, it, it's a lot of confusion and stuff happening and, and potential red herrings. We don't fucking know. Atticus, the scene where Atticus and Montrose are in the alley and Atticus, at first, he's, he's thinking he has to hold Montrose back from saving Montrose's friend, Thomas, from getting killed by the white folks in the massacre. As they, they have this conversation... <laughs> essentially Montrose narrates the whole thing as it's happening. And Montrose says, you know, it's at this point where the stranger rolled up with the bat and saved us. <sighs> and he says, that stranger says, I got you kid. Atticus says that same line. I got you kid simultaneously. And that's when was well, two things that happened there. Atticus realizes that's happened in his dream in episode one of Lovecraft country of this show. During Atticus's dream, when Jackie Robinson literally shows up, beats the shit out of Cthulhu with the bat, he says to Atticus, I got you, kid. So Atticus is realizing, oh, shit, that's part of my dream. And also, as they're sitting there, it's so funny, too, because as they're sitting there watching this happen, Atticus is like, yo, that was my dream. So they sit there and continue watching what's happening. Mm-hmm. But the kids are still getting beat up and nothing's happening. So Atticus says, wait, something's wrong. And that's when he slowly realizes that the stranger is him. Yep. And I pretty much, I think we all, you know, different people have guessed that the stranger was going to be someone from the crew. You know, people thought Hippolyta, it would be Hippolyta coming through. But pretty much for a while that we were figuring, and then once people started seeing evidence or ideas of time travel in this show, that it was going to be one of the crew. And personally, I just thought that scene was just so beautiful and so well done. Like, 
I mean, everything leading up to it. The conversation. That conversation was beautiful. And the fact that they were able to display their emotions and cry and try to heal. Mm-hmm. Even though they're both, as you say, in the trash bag Olympics, still, yep. still, still in the running. But also, you know, you're seeing wider in the trash bag Olympics. You've you seen the contents of their trash. Yes, mm. yeah, yeah. There it is. You know, bad lady, bad man, bad boy. You know, it's not bad lady. It's not just for women. You know, it's a catch-all term. You know, um, but I love that scene right there. And when Atticus steps up and the bat rolls at his feet. You know, it was just that moment. It reminded me of, like, Field of Dreams. And even though Field of Dreams isn't a time travel movie, it's because it has baseball in it. You know, nobody's getting beat over the head. But just the, you know, the bat being there and him having that moment where he's like, oh, I am that person. You know, like Hippolyta, I am. You know, I am the stranger and comes through. I loved it. And and I, I loved it because for those reasons that you mentioned, and I also still hated it because also mm. this is the part. Mm-hmm. So if you're telling me Montrose comes there already having a memory of the stranger mm-hmm. with the bat. Yep. And now we know that the stranger with the bat is Atticus. Yep. Does this mean that Atticus already came into the past before to save Kid Montrose? Yes. Because the bat was there. The bat was there because Montrose brought it with him after he used it to smash the car window open to get the get the booze. Yep. Does this mean that this is them trying to fix thing in the past again? Has it happened already? Are we in Terminator? This means to me, and this is something I meant to bring up to y'all before the episode started, but you know, I'll just drop this bomb on you. Is this a one season show? Because it's, it's, it's fucking gotta be because <laughs> <laughs> it well, first really... of all, they, they killed my uncle George, y'all. Like, no, like yeah, it, 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 it seeming to be because, and this is my reasons for it, and it's hurting my feelings. One, I've seen Misha Green talk about projects that she wants to do after this. They, <laughs> a, they advertise this as a mini series, and at this point, these characters have grown in such powerful ways. As in your <laughs> notes, you say, is Hippolyta a god now? There is just so much things happening where it's like, I just don't see it. And also, the problem with that is that that hurts me. Because I also feel just like with Watchmen, where we never get to see a show where the black people, you know, have power. You see her toe. Everyone's yelling about her toe turn blue in the water. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, (laughs) yeah. And now we got, you know, Hippolyta Blue. And and to me, this feels like a limited series, y'all. I'm sorry. Like... I just feel like there should be a next episode and that's it because yeah. things done changed. Side note, Hip and Island Blue also reminds me of um, DBZ, Dragon Ball Z, because mm. Goku Blue is like the highest. Oh, shit. Oh, the highest, oh, most, 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 most powerful yes. version. So. Oh, we need that. We need it all from uh, Bounce or somebody. You're going to have to hook You're going to do Hip and Blue with the Super Saiyan Blue hair? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Uh, uh, wow. But, but yeah. Yeah, I just, so I'm asking y'all, how do y'all feel? Because it feels to me like, you know, one and done. And well, it I, you know what? <laughs> it, it may hurt, but I also think it makes sense. I think we're also, oh. it makes sense. Listen, hear me out. It makes sense because also if you look at at least the last few hits of, of HBO has had, there has been a pattern that of, of miniseries and, and, and bringing it to where you, you get so engrossed and so attached to these characters and then they end it. And then you're screaming like you're this. Now you're stuck in limbo as a forever fan. 
oh, I love that. Oh, Kyle, could you do that? And then you were sitting here doing fan fictions in our head. You're sitting here analyzing on a podcast called the Safe Negro Podcast Show. Like you're sitting here in it in your psyche and in your imagination. And I and that might be the overall goal to keep Damn. this sitting with you as an experience, as opposed to an ongoing series where by the time it gets to uh, I don't know, season seven, you go, yo, this series fell off a cliff. Why <laughs> even get to that? <clears throat> just saying, you know, but, 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 but I'm just saying, I think that's Careful the case. And, and then, and then just one more, my other reason why I think this is the case also is because if you look at our, and you should subscribe to for all nerds on your favorite podcast platform, because you would have been listening to the Matt Ruff episode that we had about a month back or mm -hmm. a month or so back where we interviewed him and he explained that Lovecraft Country, his his story, like even though he was he was interested in making another book, it was going to be completely different, a different direction. Perhaps during that conversation with Misha, they was like, "Fam, I feel you. Let's go somewhere else." Which makes me feel like maybe this is the optimist side of me. Yes. Maybe this is actually going to become an anthology series, much like what we get with American Horror Stories. And this is what Lovecraft Country is going to become. It's going to become different. We're going to see George Freeman, the younger, have his journey. And we'll see what that looks like. I like that. I like I that. I like that. I, I wanna, like that. You're in the writer's yes. room, Portia. You're in the writer's room. Yes. I want to see this. Yeah. I want to see, see the 80s version of Lovecraft Country. I want to see that. Misha, yes. hire us. Uh, We're right here. <laughs> <laughs> Rounding out this this theme of rewinding and things like that, Portia, you had a very good point here about about the exploration of these personas. Could you talk about that? Yeah. So something that kind of like occurred to me in seeing how, especially with Dee's character, um, how a lot of these things that you're mentioning as like rewinds are also kind of like people having embraced or um, kind of removing themselves from personas that kind of been put on them. So um, Atticus, for example, with the Jackie Robinson slash Stranger uh, thing is because that's what Montrose believed of him to be. Like, because he believed there was a stranger that came and saved the day, that's who Atticus took up the mantle to become in that one instance. Um, and for me, that kind of like Harry Potter nerd, um, I that's a big symbol. And like one of the Harry Potter books is that... Um, there's a time loop that Harry and um, Hermione close where he thinks his father comes to save him, but his father's dead. And he realizes that like him being told the whole time, Oh, you look just like your father actually comes out to like him mm. actually saving himself um, in the middle of something big. So this, this moment reminded me a lot of something of that. Um, like and this Atticus is becoming like this like big tall, tall figure. Um, and he's saving the people that like, his uncle George, who he has conflicting feelings about, and then his father, who he literally is like, he just disowned his father, and this is where he is, but he's saving them as children, especially in this big, like, massacre, and this, like, what means so much to, like, Black folks, so there's just a lot of overtones there. Mm -hmm. um, for Hippolyta, her being um, Orinthia Blue, it's because how, that's how her daughter um, visualized her life if it, as it would have been in a fantasy setting if she was able to go to school and do all the science stuff that she's told um, mm -hmm. Dee about. Mm -hmm. um, so Montrose um, and the trauma that he goes through that we see during the episode, specifically when it comes to like what he's lived through in Tulsa, like him um, with his relationship with his father, um, we see that he like kind of accepts that whatever his, the persona that his father is forcing onto him, like is forcing him to keep his like real self um, quelled and not actually live that out. 
he has decided like you know, like in the original timeline of this loop we see him actually deciding that he's going to accept that and pushing away um the person that helps him realize like who he is and like live through that um and so we see a lot of like how much his trauma of like himself is also wrapped into his trauma from living through the Tulsa massacre and I'm like isn't that like about being a black like you can't even take away like your own personal journey from all of the like actual like lived trauma that goes along with it like there's just no separating the two they inform the other absolutely I think that's something that I really hurt me especially and we'll get into this when I was doing the research for this episode it just makes you feel like America expects you to just go on living and go on doing everything that any white person, I'll say, does while you're living with this generational trauma that we've been, that's been forced upon us. And it just blows my mind. It's somewhat like, I guess what they say, ignorance is bliss because the fact that we don't learn all of this in school makes it easier, you know, because if I'd learned everything that I just learned just by doing a couple of quick Google searches, I probably would have rioted, you know, in my early age, because even I knew certain things that I didn't, I knew about Tulsa, all this from early, but I didn't know nearly as much as I learned, like I said today. And that's something else that we talked about last week, but I just want to make this point again real quick, because I feel like there's a lot of people who review this show and they are not doing the work. And it's just so highly insulting on so many levels because, one, when it comes to fantasy, fiction, sci-fi, all that, we do so much work and so much research just in general. Like, I spend hours on various wikis about various, you know, genres and everything just because of my interest. And that's all just fantasy. You know, that's all just made up. Right. While this is actual history that's incorporated into the show and people won't even do the minimum of time that it takes to do the research. Just like you said, a couple of Google searches, things are just laid out for you in this episode. Montrose yeah. lists, lists names that you can just Google. He just gives you a list right there. And people aren't doing that. And then they're rating the show and reviewing the show and saying, oh, it's not in, it's not this, it's not that. But mm -hmm. you're not doing the work that it takes to really understand what this show is doing while being an entertaining science fiction fantasy epic. You know, that's what's really insulting. It's not, it, it, it just blows my mind how much work we have to do in this country because not only is this show being an entertaining, like I said, science fiction fantasy show, it's also uncovering and showing people so much black history that yes. is hidden from us. Yes. yes. And, and exploring the traumas that are generated by this black history and mm -hmm. showing what that does to us as a people. Mm -hmm. And showing why it does that to us as a people. And it's just so many levels that people are not appreciating. And a show or a movie like Indiana Jones, X-Files, anything lost, one of my favorite shows of all time, does not have to deal with on, you know, basically any level. Like, they can pay lip service to race. Damon Lindelof will admit to that. As he has. As he has. And Check. on the episode of Four Owners when we interviewed him. Check it. <laughs> You know, nothing, no humble brag or anything. But no, you know, with name drop, you know, you know what I mean? <laughs> just to let you know. Just saying. Um, uh, but we appreciate, and again, this just everyone who's been listening to us and supporting us, thank you very much because, and you have already said it, you recognize that the work that gets put into this. And you recognize that the deepness that this particular show goes into, and we talked about levels and, and everything being 
levels upon levels and the lotus flower and all that stuff. And that leads us to the next theme of dreams. And we mentioned it briefly already where Atticus has that. He says that simultaneous phrase with Montrose. He says, uh, what, I got you, kid? I got you, kid. And we realize that, that that is reminiscent of Atticus's dream in episode one. When this show first opened, it opened up with a bang where it started within Atticus's dream where he was in the trenches fighting and then it reveals to a wide shot of a war, war of the worlds type of situation going on and all sorts of madness happening around him. It, what we come to realize, what I've come to realize now is episode one is actually an amalgamation of premonitions, which are generally visions of the future. And it really is a, a, an amalgamation of all the events that he and his family goes through throughout the series that we're watching. So, for example, things I, I, I pointed out, fighting in the trenches at, when he was in the Korean War, the, the planes bombing. That can also be war, but also in this episode, we see the planes bombing Tulsa. The aliens and the monsters attacking that that thought of war uh, war of the worlds, you can approximate that as an allegory for for white people attacking black people. And if you saw how it was with the monsters and and the the aliens attacking the the ground troops, it was the, it was a no contest type of situation. It, it they were the the aliens monsters were just completely overcoming the people on the ground, and that's essentially what it looked like when you saw the Tulsa massacre episode that this, this episode that we're talking about now, uh, uh, it, you can also talk about how that could be a standing for black people at war racism and, and the, the, how you combat with, with all of these monsters and, and then actually showing the literal monsters such as like the Shogoths. At, at one point in that dream episode, in the dream that he had, the, there was a quick, and if you blinked, you missed it, but there was a quick scene in the background of a woman in like that Roman Greek type of armor fighting. And that is written, indicative of the I Am episode when we saw the, the Dahomey Amazons, we saw Nawi and the rest of them fighting. Uh, Gia is Dejas Thoris, the Prince of the Mars. Uh, the fact that she, she uh, Gia is a Kumio who sees the future, um, for those who are into the comics of, of the, the old school Princess of Mars and Deja Thoris, there, there's a point where Deja time travels. Like a lot of the, the, there's parallels there between all of these characters. Uh, Portia talked about this before, Jackie Robinson, the, the idea of baseball and, the, and its significance or Jackie Robinson's significance to Matros. Uh, and also the, the, the cross-reference of D. D ends up loving baseball as, as we talk, talked about last episode. Uh, and then, of course, the I got you kid phrase and, and the fact that Atticus essentially becomes Jackie Robinson for for kid mantras. Um, and I just thought the reason why the other reason why that this was such a mindfuck for me is because there was actually I found an interview with Misha Green again, who who wrote this lovely piece of art uh, along with with other and many amazing people. But she said in her interview about that episode one, she says, uh, I think that opening was laying the groundwork for where we were going using found audio and aliens and having all these monsters and then really setting up the idea that life is but a dream. And it's kind of in a way that magic is in this world. It's like you can use it to create what you want it to be. Mm. So with Misha saying that and then with all of this happening with with everything referencing back to Atticus's dream, I'm just like, yo, Misha's fucking with us. <laughs> yeah. 
And and also, I think what that quote is really dope because that's something we talk about a lot on Fall Nerds and just in general is that you can, you know, the world is. And we talked about this earlier in this uh, show as well, like that the world when you break down, when you get down to the scientific nature of things at its smallest level, everything in this universe is made of the same type of matter. And we only perceive this world as one way because we perceive it this way. It's just like the idea of the matrix or the idea of uh, the force that, you know, you can affect your world if you, you know, if you think of things, this is what comes of it. What you think of it, you know, what you put your mind to will become real. Mm-hmm. And we see that happen with Letty and Atticus. They, they they both have the same dream of running through the Braithwaite mansion and chasing behind Hannah, the ancestor, and then they both being engulfed in flames. And, and it's, uh, sorry, it's uh-huh. also talked about in the magic when they say that yeah. the intention, it takes intention to cast mm-hmm. spells. It's your intention to cast spells that then affect your reality. And that's just this real world saying, like, it's your intention behind things. It's not just thinking of things, but also putting the intention behind it that creates your world. Yeah. And, and this also, this last part about dreams falls a little bit into the Easter egg category, but the showing of the Dreamland Theater which was an actual theater in Tulsa that was also burned down. And just, just riding along the, the understanding of dreams and everything. Mm-hmm. And, and, and in the context of the show, it's theater. It's, it's entertainment. It's, it's showing you a story, however, using real-life context. Mm. And, but also the yeah. double entendre of dream versus dream, right? Because, yeah. like... Your dreams are like, you know, fictional, like they can be just in your head or whatever. But then like also like how Benami was talking about it, like there's intention behind dreams. If you put intentionality, if your goal is to be a screenwriter or whatever, mm-hmm. and you put intentionality behind that, then your dream can become your lived yep. experience, right? So it's like that's the the whole genre of dreaming, how it can both be both like something that's like subconscious that just comes to you in the middle of the night, or it can be a literal li- lived dream. And how do you do it? Yeah. How do you make it real? Absolutely. Put your uh, intention behind your thoughts, folks. <laughs> For Message. sure. Message. <laughs> uh, and I said it earlier, but I got started getting pissed because I'm like, yo, dude, we just get dropped into the Terminator because it led us to the theme of time travel. And the this is kind of a well-known thing for a lot of people, but called the butterfly effect which basically is an it's an implication about how your current actions can have a ripple effect into things that happen into your future and how if we were to go back into the past and change even the slightest thing it may have massive repercussions for your present or for your future so for example something that could be really innocuous you you trip over a rock perhaps that could lead to a series of events that ends up you end up meeting your your husband or your wife or some shit like that and it seems really ridiculous on its face, but when you think about it in a real world context, like if, let's say like this, if you're a student, perhaps you majored in a certain, a major in a certain major. Uh, and because you were in that major in that school, you actually met someone who later on the line helped you in your journey. Or maybe they made your life a living hell, but the point is that would have never happened if you didn't take certain steps to get there. So that... And and that idea that that understanding happens and is just repeated in this episode, particularly before they jump into the portal, Hippolyta is very clear to instruct Montrose, Atticus, and Letty that they cannot do anything in Tulsa 1921 that could change the future or they would F everything up. 
So, and they could not change the course of history. And what that means is people who have died back then, they have to remain on a path to death. They can't warn people. They can't save people. And as we see, even if it's your own kin, your own people, your own family, your own blood, you cannot do anything. And I thought that was also, as this episode displayed this, I thought that was powerful because I put myself in that position. I could imagine, like, I go back in the past. Could I trust myself? And I know people do stuff by accident, but from a willing perspective, could you trust yourself not to warn or try to, to help yourself or even people in your past, even people in your family, not to change? Like, if you knew something terrible was going to happen at this particular day, could you find it in yourself not to change a thing and let it occur in front of you? Um, it, it, I'll, I'll say this. This episode was very tough for me on a lot of levels. Like I said before earlier, you know, my mother passed away uh, just less than two years ago now. And when seeing Atticus call out for his mother, you know, for mama, when mm -hmm. he sees her, it just broke my heart. I just absolutely broke my heart. I was absolutely, I was yeah. effed up for the next two days after that. You know, mm. just, yeah, like just I was just effed up. You know, I didn't even realize at the time. It wasn't until later on when I realized how much that moment just you know crushed me. And I don't know. You know, I don't know what I would do in that situation. You know, given that chance, I, I have no idea because I, I would. You know, people say it, but I don't think they understand until it happens. You know, you would give anything just for another minute, another chance to say something to someone, you know. And so I don't I don't know what I would do in that situation. It was, it was tough. Uh, everything. I, you know, seeing Montrose sitting there with, you know, the person he loved and the things he said to, you know, that young boy. Thomas, yeah. Yeah, it was that, you know, all of that. I, I felt every like i said I, that scene was so powerful to me and then the bat rolling up and the predestination of it all and this is something that even i, I you know i was a very thoughtful kid and this is um i used to have this mind exercise i thought about when i was like let's say you're standing on a street corner and you decide to go left or right on that street now you going left or right on that street will instantly change the rest of your life but you can sit there on that street corner for the rest of your life as well, trying to figure out should you go left or right. Right. But once you make that decision, that is your life. There is no right. You know, if you went left, there is no, you know, there is no right. And, you know, that's it. And you won't know the effect of that until, well, you probably won't ever, really. But it's just, you know, it's like there is only one thing. There is only one, you know, there is no if. There is only is. Basically, there's no there's no try. There is do. Right. You know yeah. I? Yeah. There it and, is. There, and, you know, and, and, and in all seriousness, it really is like that. And mm -hmm. I also want to add that everyone listening has to understand that not doing anything is also making a decision. Mm -hmm. as, as Ben, I mean, with the with the metaphor you used of, of standing on a street corner, yep. you go you have a choice of going left or going right. And the third choice is doing nothing. Yeah, that's a choice. Yes. And to your detriment or to your, you know, to you winning something, that's great. But it's just you have to realize that everything you do, like our whole entire lives are a series of small decision making. Yes. That happen. And whether or not they feel significant in the moment, they can have massive repercussions later on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like and back to your question about the like, what would you do? And like, I feel like it depends on what you're set up to do. Right. Like in. Yeah. 
Letty's and in this case is like they go back into this like a this one room that they note that just happens to be untouched like at the beginning and end of their entrance um and like where they sort of they said actually set up to do right like if they came back with like glocks and like bazookas and like things that could take them down right like if they were ready to do that that's a whole different setup than like them literally only having time to like infiltrate and get Mm -hmm. a thing and come back so i feel like it depends on what you're set up to do honestly and we've seen in 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 a million time travel movies where it's just like when you do decide you want to come through and and fuck shit up you it the future ends up being worse uh, or, or and and it ends up just being a place where you really don't want to be there, and it's just like, do, and and it's a it's a moral conundrum, right? Do you allow these these moral atrocities to happen in order for you to be alive, or or certain people mm-hmm. in, in in history be alive? And these are these are, and I don't want to scare anybody because I know this is also it's, it's such a it's a lot to think about and it's a lot to contemplate, and at the same time you got you're also a human. Like live your life. I know there. Are, as I said, yes, your life is a series of of multiple decisions, and and any one of the decisions could could become something else. But you can't sit there just thinking about oh, you. Oh yeah. You know, I'm like a, like what do I do? What I, like you have to live. I'm an indecisive ass Pisces, so that's all I do. <laughs> and but at the same time, you have to make movement and you have to make choices. And that's what I've learned, you know, being indecisive as I am. I've also learned that, you know, I, whenever I put my foot forward, you know, it, the universe also conspires to help me move in that direction. Yeah. You always got to keep moving forward. Yep. Lastly, in this, this thought of time travel, and I mentioned the butterfly effect and, and we, we gave you several examples thereof. On the Dreamland Theater marquee in the show, they one of the the movie that's showing is called The Goat, starring Buster Keaton and Virginia Fox. Mm-hmm. And looking that up, the movie itself is a series of events or misfortunate events set in motion by one action. Um, you know, basically the main character he ends up being mistaken for like like a criminal, and uh, everything thereof that happens like literally happens just because he he does one thing, which is like. He kicks a horseshoe, mm. and 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 is and is again it's an innocuous action that ends up having wide-ranging effects on the rest of the story. And that also leads into our next theme because sadly, the Tulsa massacre was also the effect of someone being a mistaken. Oh action. no! Lied on, lied on, yeah, lied on. Let's that, be clear. Yeah, lied that on. led to a disastrous result with wide-ranging effects. Mm-hmm. Uh. Once again, someone basically, someone meaning someone white, try to make it like a, a black man raped a white woman, which yeah. which set off a series of actions that led to the essentially two day massacre. Um, and yeah, yeah, which you know, like if it's an effing massacre, like that wasn't you know that wasn't what set anything off it's literally just like the excuse they were waiting for to do what they wanted to do in the first place that mm-hmm. part that part um so I, i'm not gonna cover everything about the massacre but just so people have an understanding uh it, it happened in the greenwood neighborhood of tulsa which had a population of about ten thousand people uh and that area was was deemed as a, a chance for black people to escape the harsher racial realities of life. Um, black Tulsans 
were segregated into Greenwood, but it's there where they built a thriving business district known as Black Wall Street. Um, it was um, a wealthy landowner from Arkansas moved there and started opening businesses for black residents. And of course, the black residents that lived there followed suit and, and continued to build up that area. Um, that, that main street was actually named after Greenwood, Mississippi, and was later extended to the whole neighborhood. Um, up to 30 residents own grocery stores. They own different types of businesses like hotels and theaters and transportation services, all run by black entrepreneurs. And as uh, as this quote goes, um, we had that kind of prosperity in 1921. This was Black Wall Street for a reason, and it was burned down and destroyed for a reason. Mm. Uh, yeah. Um, to get into this just a little bit, I was watching this episode. The destruction of Tulsa and everything didn't hit me as much because I feel like I personally had become a bit desensitized to it after having watched Watchmen and knowing about it for as long as I've personally known about, you know, the destruction of Black Wall Street. I, I first learned about it when I got to Howard University. That was when mm-hmm. I first learned about it. And, That's when I first learned. Yep. And so I wanted to do a little research as we do for this show. And so I wanted to see because I was wondering, like, okay, why is it that one, we keep being shown Tulsa right now? Like in the space of a year, we've seen it on Watchmen and now on this show. Mm-hmm. One, you know, we're approaching the hundred year anniversary, so it's in the yep. zeitgeist. Every it's on everyone's mind. But doing the research for this show, I learned about uh, what they was coined as the Red Summer, which was coined by James Weldon Johnson, the composer who wrote the Negro National Anthem, you know, the jam, as we all know. And he said the the period of racial terror between 1917 to 1923 was coined as the Red Summer, right? 1917 through 1923. Remember, uh, this is when America was going through World War One, right? In 1919, 1919, I think we joined uh, World War One. Um so during this time, not only were we engage in a world war, we still had time to engage on a war on black people. Uh, another, author, another author, Ibram X. Kendi, said that the Red Summer describes all the blood spilled in the deadliest series of white invasions of black neighborhoods since Reconstruction. Reconstruction occurs right after the Civil War, which ends in 1865. So... This is what blew my mind about this. And I've known this, but when you just see it laid out, it is just so disturbing. The constant, right? Okay, the Civil War just ends 400-something years of slavery. Or so of they one, say. Yeah, or, of more, or so they say, right? Or changes it to a different form. One of the worst forms of slavery seen throughout history, three, seen throughout the history of humankind. That form of slavery would never been seen before until it came, until it was used upon black people, along with the genocide of Native Americans, which is happening concurrently at the mm-hmm. same time. Right? All right. right. So, Civil we, War. We you. <laughs> okay, Civil War ends this. Then we have Reconstruction, which this man says was the deadliest series of white. While we're having Reconstruction, which is on its, you know, surface, supposedly about giving back to black people, to fixing the problems of slavery. But at the same time, white people are coming in, invading black neighborhoods in, you know, what is the deadliest series until this happens 
1917. How many years is that in between that real quick? Uh, 50-something? Not even, you know, like the generation of people. And so in 1917 and 1923, in six years, you have a series of riots or not even riots, massacres, let's use the right word, where white people went into black neighborhoods and just uh, across the nation of America, not in one place. This is in Chicago. This happens in uh, Washington, D.C. This happens in Mm -hmm. Florida with Rosewood. This is all over the nation. You know, uh, the Perry riot or the Perry massacre is also another one that happened in Florida. You can look all these things up. Like I said, Montrose gives you a list of names of people. He mentions Dr. Jackson. He mentions Pedleg. He mentions all these people that you can Google. These are actual residents of Tulsa. But going back to the whole series of this inflection of terror and everything upon black people, even in somewhere like Perry, where they, all they destroyed were the schools, the churches, uh, you know, the stores. Like they didn't kill everyone. These people left behind. People, black people would leave and leave behind their resources their homes everything and never return none of these crimes were ever reported as we all know they're not included in history books for the most part and this is perry florida perry florida this goes on and and, and, and in multiple cases in these instances it's the same thing that happened a white woman accuses some black man and like portia said they're just waiting for the excuse to take away everything there's this book um, that I want to give a shout out to the color of money because Tanahasi Coates mentioned it recently. The color of money, Black Banks and the Racial Wealth Gap by Mesra Baradin. And this book talks about how when everyone whenever you hear someone say, Why don't black people do like the Jews? Why don't black people do like the Chinese? Why don't black people do what you know, whoever you want to mention? And there's a reason why, because whenever we have attempted it, the re- response by whiteness has been insane to say the least violently insane and okay so going back to this uh red summer 1917 to 1923 don't act like this stops there you know and and ben you're right that this happened during the the, uh world war one because world war one ended 1918 (laughs) yeah so at the same time they got time um all right but recently a lot of one that is going to come into attention a lot in the near future but a lot of people don't know about is the bombing in Philly of the MOVE um, organization. Yeah. And this is in the 1960s, right? That's in the, in the 70s. 70s. Okay, Jesus Christ. And, you know, they, there's a... Um... Oh, excuse me. No, no, no. Now, yeah, because there was a, there's a few things that happened. So there yeah, was a it happened standoff. twice. That's, that, that, that's, right. That, yeah. So there was something that happened in the 70s where there was a standoff with, with, yep. with, with injuries and officers getting yes. out all that stuff. But and then in 1985. Well, when they dropped the bomb, that was 85. 85. Let the fire burn. You know, speaking of fire again, which comes up so many times in this episode, Let the Fire Burn is an excellent documentary I peeped a few years ago on the move bombing and everything. And there was an article in the Source magazine years ago when I was growing up. That's when I first learned about this. This ain't in being none of your history books. But the police dropped a bomb on a residential district residential neighborhood Philly. in philadelphia and Philly. anyone who's in like uh talk, talk to chris morrow who grew up in philly anyone who grew up in philly knows it you know it's like this is this happened you know this is what they do and at this point y'all like i'll be honest i am really looking for my options for moving away from this country because i do not see it changing because this is what it was built and designed to do 
And change will be very incremental at best because the system, people always say, you know, work from inside to fix the system and everything, but the system is built exactly, you know, to, it's doing exactly what it's built, designed to do. What What's also very interesting. <sighs> Sorry, I had that. to. <laughs> no, no, this is, this is good. This is good education. This is good, a rem, this is good reminder. Mm -hmm. And even in the context of this show of, of Lovecraft Country, HBO, this all fits into all of the things we've been talking about. Mm -hmm. uh, the butterfly effect, uh, the aspect of of rewinding time, time repeating itself, all of these real life massacres and, and, and violent events keep repeating themselves, happening over and over again up through uh, 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 something as, as egregious as bombing a, a residential neighborhood happened through the 80s, which is not that long ago, if you think about it. And then obviously the ongoing police brutality and other things that continue to happen uh, to to black Americans in this country. So just the idea that these are all, e even from a context of a show, this all feeds into the same storyline. Yeah, and it just goes on and on. I mean, it's just so many instances. Like, uh... I want to bring, I mean, I don't want right. to like pile on, but I do want to bring up like some of the things that are like the less well-known stories because there's like mm -hmm. you know like these big massacres but there's also just like the general like um there's this podcast called unfinished and they looked at this case of this man called isidore banks who he mm -hmm. helped build up a community in arkansas where it was like at first it was black folk and then it was doing prospering so much that white people built us a, a town nearby and kind of like you know had things happen and Isidore Banks is a black man who built up like his own sharecropping. Like he had his own plotted up land. He figured out how to like own the land that he'd been sharecropping on. And then he built out a good uh, farming land. And then uh, mysteriously, he some like the sheriff is also in charge of collecting taxes. And somehow he says that Isidore's behind on paying his taxes whenever all the accounting books show that Isidore was always up to up to date and taking care of his taxes. Um, and then he um, he was a big part of the community. He was like a councilman or something. And he, um, again, like it was mostly black folk who had like had this small town and then like this other town had grown up around it. Um, he decided that he was going to link up with NAACP. And within a year of him linking up with NAACP, they started having a lot of trouble with the white folks in town. Um, and Isidore was like, okay, I'm going to send my family to go live in like the North. And then within like a couple of months of him doing that, he died. Um, and nobody would tell them what happened to him. And that's not like a freaking like one-off story that happened mm -hmm. so much throughout the South that mm -hmm. black people mm -hmm. actually were big landowners and farmers. And so many of Southerners, like our people know how to do like farmland and they just like got pushed out of being able to even own land and get the money and subsidizing that they would need to run farms anymore. So there's so many people who, again, like 20 acres and a mule, like that was supposed to be a thing and people were like really onto it. 40. And so 40. many people, 40 yeah. acres, 40 acres and a mule. There's so many people who like, they actually tried to build that out. Like they actually mm -hmm. did what they needed to do to get it happening. And then it was all taken away from them. Yep. And that's something we talk about on For All Nerds, why we say inclusion and we include everyone because I've often talked about the word minority is such a bullshit-ass word and it's meant to divide people. And the attack on people from whiteness has come on every angle. Like we mentioned before, the genocide of Native Americans 
is taking place at the same time. Uh, during World War II, the internment of Japanese Americans on American soil, just because they were Japanese and because we were involved in a war with, you know, Japan at the time. These are things that just happen, you know, and people act like it's nothing. When we talk about the Native Americans, like you were talking about, Portia, about stealing shit, you know, it's like agreement after agreement, and the land is just stolen from them, you know, to form this country now. That's why, you know, the phrase, we're all standing on stolen land is truth. Indeed. (sighs) And I know this is a lot to process. Everyone take a deep breath. Mm -hmm. (sighs) Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. But one more, one more thing. It, it just, you know, I, like I, I try to say it because like reading this shit just blows my mind. It's like we're expected to just go to work. We're expected to just go on with life, you know. And it, it, like when you speak of like the Jewish population, you know, the Holocaust is constantly reminded. You know, nine eleven. Now we're constantly reminded. You know, we're we're talking about now. Right now, we're living in a world where we have two hundred ten at four. 214, you know, dead Americans from the coronavirus at the oh, time thousand. it was recording. Yeah, yeah. 214,000, you know, 214K thousand dead at the time it's recording. If we lived in a just society, you know, we'd be reminded of that. But because we're living in this BS right now, we're not going to talk about that. They're going to sweep that under the rug as much as possible, you know, while it's 3,000 people on 9-11 that you're reminded about every year. But we're not reminded about this. You know, we're not taught about this. And even if you were, you would still be expected to just go on like nothing. Still I, love this country. Yeah. I feel like all of these stories being hidden is all like to it all helps the whole story of like white people telling black people to just get over it. Like mm-hmm. the whole like idea behind, um, you know, like we're resilient because yes. We have all these awful things happen to us, but black people, we just keep on pushing. Keep and on we just, we just, <laughs> we overcome. We shall yeah. overcome every single time, and we're the ones who are supposed to like be the ones who are, um, the ones who are the better person. We're always the better people. We always like forgive first when something mm-hmm. bad happens to us. Like that's how we're supposed to do because they've told they've hidden these stories from us so it's like what are you actually angry about like i'm angry about a lot of different things and you're telling me that i'm not supposed to be because it would then make you have to do something and you don't want to do anything about it so no Mm -hmm. and it's just like we said so many hidden stories just this year i learned about carl hampton like i grew up in houston and carl hampton was part of the black panthers of houston that i didn't even know existed you know why because they killed carl hampton at 21 years old I found you know out I mean? that Third Good Marshall went to my small town in Tennessee, mm. and yep. I never. Third Good Marshall is so famous, like yes. so, so famous. famous. And y'all are talking mm-hmm. about how y'all learned about Tulsa, like at Howard. I learned about Tulsa also, like at Lincoln, another HBCU. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't. Third Good Marshall went to my HBCU. Had no idea that man was at all connected to my small town because he got ran out of it. Mm. Yeah, I I know about third grade because my mother, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, TSU School of Law is where she went and attended, you know, Texas Southern University. So that's how. But yeah, we we just don't learn this stuff. Yeah, I do like that <sighs> this show is, as you said, teaching us about American history, Black history, which is American history, teaching us mm-hmm. about our past and our present, and it's also teaching us about the the 
different abilities of people and, and the things they go through. Like we, we learn things like machos being dyslexic. So they kind of enter that into the, to the, the thoughts. Uh, we also are learning about alcoholism as a disease. Mm. Liquor played a big prominent role in this episode. It, it has appeared in the last few episodes, particularly with Machos, but it continuously appeared in this episode. Um, and, and you can look at it as both a conduit for causing and alleviating pain. As we saw, Machos use alcohol to, or uses alcohol to drown out his demons and his, his, his internal debate within himself. Um, you saw him drinking like this moonshine type of, type of concoction that he says Uncle George, or, or excuse me, um, his brother George calls road rash. Uh, Montrose being drunk facilitates his emotional outbursts and violence against Atticus, particularly when he was a child. And even now, just him just going in on Atticus, usually he's he's drunk when it's happening and Atticus always calls him out on it. Um, Montrose's father, especially as we see in this Rewind 1921 episode, his father was also a drunk and under the influence as he was physically abusing Montrose. And I, it was wild because you actually saw Machos get the biggest switch in his life to beat Machos's ass. And what was more unnerving is that the the direction of this episode sat there and made you watch, mm. and you saw Letty, both Letty and Atticus wincing, like they like seeing this corporal punishment happening in front of them. But then you, as the audience, you're watching this. You're watching him beat Kid Machos bloody. Um. Yeah, uh, yeah. It, it was tough, man. It's you tough. know, like I didn't grow up, you know, um, gay or I mean, I grew up dealing, you know, like all people I think deal, you know, figuring out what their sexuality is. But I definitely grew up with a father who was a functional alcoholic, and I grew up with that rage that was caused by alcoholism and by being a black man dealing with it, it dealing with America un, you know and that alcoholism together and so oh mm-hmm. you know I grew up you know I've been hit with everything and so that that scene was you know it, like most of this episode and then to have Atticus crying for his mom mother at the same you know in the same scene you know like I say it just hit me it, it was just that was me as a child you know basically running from my dad and you know Going to my mom, and so it, this was tough, man. This is it's tough, and and, and yeah. speaking about that dynamic between Montrose and Atticus, when they did have that finally into Portia, Portia was waiting for this. They did finally <laughs> in the shop have that conversation where where Montrose like, "Yo, the Maury, you are not the father," came out, and he said, "Yo, Uncle George is probably your dad, homie." <laughs> I loved how quick the turnaround was for Atticus. He's like, "Yo." After this is over, you're out of my life. And now I found out she's my father. This is like he's like I'm ready to cut up for real. Like it's like, it was like that song, um, the daddy the daddy song that came out like in the early thousands or whatever. Like you ain't my daddy, shut daddy. up. Like yep. that one. Like yep. that's literally how Atticus came at uh, Montrose. He's like you ain't my daddy. F, the, F you. And, and you know I, I just want to big up Jonathan Majors. He's a hell of an actor. Hell of an actor. Hell of an actor. He's an actor. Yeah. The emphasis on the tour. Like the way he, you saw him doing the calculations and mm. the mental and emotional and and physical calculations in his head of you're not my dad. Then what the fuck was all of this? bullshit that i went through my entire life with you and and he even says it at one point i wanted uncle george to be Mm. my father because of all the stuff i had to go through and to find out he really was an old trio y'all because it was 
a, a, a pact essentially between Montrose, Dora, and uh, and uh, George that this was just going how it's going to be. Man, and like I had those feelings too, and then. I think Atticus had to wrestle with the same things that I had to wrestle with is the fact that you had to understand one, I didn't have any other boss. You know, I didn't have no George in my life. There wasn't nobody. I was like, damn, I wish my mom had married him, you know, because <laughs> all men were trash. <laughs> but I was just like, um, more so I had to understand that without my father being my father, I wouldn't be me, you know? And me and my father have a different relationship now where I love my dad and I understand a lot of the things that he put upon me were because of his own trauma, you know? And so I understand that and I'm not carrying that forward, you know, and I forgive him for that. Mm -hmm. But for a time I was there with, you know, Atticus where I felt that way. But then I had to understand that, you know, everything that is, is because of who I am. Now he has to understand that just because George was there, you know, it's one of the things Montrose is still his daddy. And that's what Macho says. He said, yeah. at the end of the day, I wanted you. Yes. You know, and I raised you. Now, whether or not I raised you the best way, I raised you the best way I could or the best way I knew. And that's what I understand about my own father. He was raising me the best way he knew, you know, which probably ain't the best. But, you know, he was doing the best. And he also supported me in a lot of ways and all that, too. And Montrose, for all his trashness, still is doing the same. And Atticus dropped so much trashness himself that he can't talk about nobody when it really comes down to it. There's a little bit of bitch assness in there, too. <laughs> <laughs> if we're being very honest. <laughs> Ooh, boy, conversations could be had. The <laughs> conversations could be had. And that's why everything is such a complicated truth. And, and it annoys me a bit because I feel like all of these characters are so smart. So for them to just <laughs> constantly run into these complicated truths, and as Ben kept saying, if ninjas just had a conversation, mm. they wouldn't be, one, contradicting each other every step of the way. They wouldn't be losing leverage against a common enemy or a presumed common enemy, the white folks, the white magic, and Christina. And they would be moving as a unit, considering they all have gone through this magic gauntlet in many different ways. And, 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 and even people who's not even supposed to even be with it. Diana. Diana's the innocent. And she got, got maybe the worst. Think about it. They all still alive. Yeah, Letty got shot and technically died. But she here. Mm. But don't you think that kind of ties in with like black families and what we do and don't know by omission like what they've chosen to tell us and what stories mm -hmm. they've chosen to give us over time yep. and what they and so i feel like a lot of the times like they're you know they're in a rock and a hurt place kind of situation from the jump of like should i share this or should i not and they mm. just end up keeping yes. it to themselves and then that's what happens to d without them feeling like for them making the choice of not telling her whatever they didn't think they would have any repercussions on her but it did yeah 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 the repercussions of Montrose, I mean, and this is a different type of repercussion, but when Montrose revealed the whole story about what actually, the full story of what happened to him as a kid in Tulsa and his friend mm -hmm. Thomas and having to watch that scene, uh, when Letty revealed to Atticus that she already gave the pages to Christina when she gave her Christina the negatives of the photos and she did it in an effort to protect Atticus, but Atticus was already working on the spell with Montrose. But this uh, is, uh, I just want to say something to what uh, Portra was saying right there because this yeah. is something so true it's like 
black parents have to deal with just yet another level. Like, what do I tell my kid? Because yeah. me, especially, I know growing up, I was a wild boy. You know, when it came to like politics and stuff and to white people and to religion and to a lot of things, I just had a lot of thoughts. You know, and I know my mom would try and curb me where she'd be like, it's not that bad. And I'd be like, Yo, you know, look at these white crackers. You know, this is what they do, you know, and she knows. You know, I have like older cousins who march with King, literally, you know, like hand in hand. There are pictures of him and King. You know, my mom was the first black uh, city councilwoman or uh, something in the city of Cheyenne, Wyoming, which if you oh, know wow. fucking Wyoming it is nothing but white people, and there's a reason why there is. Wonderbread. You know, they drove every black person out there. Like, I just learned this recently. People always talk about, like, Utah and places like, they had, like, white people. I mean, black people just didn't want to live there. And that's not the case. You know, white people drove black people out of these places, out of Wyoming, out of Montana, out of Utah, out of the Midwest. You know, drove them out, literally. And my mom was the first black woman there, so... Wow. You know, this is like in my history and my blood, you know, it, it, I could go on and on, but that's, a, you know, not about the point. The point is like, she would not tell you, tell me a lot of things, you know, yeah. she would educate me on black history. Of course, you know, she was very much all that, but there's a lot of stuff that she knew that you just don't tell your kids because how do you tell them that and expect them to go on with life? You know, it, it's this choice in this country that we have to deal with. It's so many things that we have to, this fucking tightrope that we have to walk. Yeah. Yeah. Tired of it. And <laughs> get tired of it. You know, That's Letty. That's why I say crackers so much on this show, y'all. If y'all don't, don't get it yet, you know, because I'm tired of it. I'm tired of walking a tightrope, you know. 2020 uh, taught me that, man. I, I ain't mean, walking that fucking tightrope. Well, even and and these characters keep walking these tightrope and and very smart point, Portia. Like you have to be smart about what type of information you share and what you don't. And mm -hmm. and as Ben says, walking a tightrope of how much information do you give? I thought it was comedy when Letty tried to explain the truth to Hattie, uh, Atticus's great grandmother, when the house was being burnt and Atticus. Well, right before that happened, Atticus's great grandmother ran in, caught Letty rummaging through the doors and was like bro what are you doing i knew you were suspect you had on them converse shoes what's going <laughs> on and then letty just was like look in her head she's like yo i might as well tell her everything and she the way letty tried to explain what was happening she was from the future i felt like it was like every black person trying to explain love crack country to their mm -hmm. cousin like because it was just well you my cousin's aunt's uncle and I'm going to have your great grandbaby and I need this because we need the magic spell. <laughs> like she just, it was comedy. And again, just, just a, an indicative of the truth being absolutely complicated. And also just a quick question to the both of you. If you was that ancestor and somebody from the future or claiming from the future showed up at some wild time and they said, Joe, I need you. I need you to give me, I don't know. I need you to give me this special book you have because all of this wild shit is happening. Would you believe them? My, mind you, they're they're from the they're wearing this dress from the twenties and Converse sneakers. Would you believe them? But I feel like, first off, not everybody knows about that book. So mm -hmm. that's like, facts. So I feel like, and I feel like her being the guardian. Like I, that was when that was my main question. I wanted to get it to add to y'all. Actually, was do you think that? Um, 
the grandma had shared the information about the book with at least someone else besides herself about like being the guardian like was that something like what is their family like thing about passing it on like when do they get to know because from what we can tell from Atticus his mom was either adamant about not talking about it or literally just like didn't know what the contents of the book were because her grandma didn't know what the contents of the book were she just knew that she was tasked with having the right. message on top of it and like keeping it safe she was so i to open it right so i'm like someone but somewhere in their family line someone had to have opened it and figured you know like you know there's someone always in the family line right or was that know. someone well, just hattie yeah because hattie said that she was told not to open it right but yeah. she knew the words the words of adam so there was, that, there was that would open it yeah, yeah. There, there's a magic spell just to even open the book yeah, but I'm saying, like, somebody had to be curious enough to open it before Atticus. No, we don't think... Like, I just nah, feel like... Listen, we talked about families, especially in Black families, keeping secrets. And mm -hmm. they've kept it well secret for years. And sometimes, you know, 100 years. So... And, if, and I think Hattie, because she knows... You know, I think there is something where these, the women in this family know some magic at the very least. It might not even be on all those, you know, in the book. They might have pages outside the book, whatever. But she was, you know, when she saw Shorty right away, she knew what was up. She, I mean, you could yeah. see. Yeah. As soon as I saw yeah. Letty show up with the fucking Converse's on, the Cortez's on, I was just like, yo. Yeah. That's out, that that's wild that she don't belong here. Yeah. When Letty was walking in the street, I was like, she didn't even try. She, she looked out. I mean, I know they said, oh, that she kind of looks, they're trying to blend in. She looked wild out of place mm -hmm. with them sneakers on. Hattie over here, like, how'd you hit on sneakers? I come up empty <laughs> every time, bitch. You know, every fucking Saturday, I come up empty, and you over here stunting on me. <laughs> the Nike app works. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hattie was pissed. I feel like Hattie was just like, I am a fashionista, and those yeah. shoes do not go with this There's outfit. No way. And I do not know what you're trying to make work here, but it does not work. Yeah. But, not in my house. But to your point, Portia, because, like, basically no one would know about the book, and the fact that Letty did, and also the fact that Letty basically said, oh, you got that Harry Potter birthmark on you. That no one else should know. <laughs> mm -hmm. Then maybe that's why. Yeah. Uh, okay, sure. Yeah. All right. Uh, big ups, though, to Regina Taylor, the actor who played Atticus's, Atticus's mm. great-grandmother. Uh, she's been in everything. Mm -hmm. Like, damn near everything for years and years. years so I just oh. want to pick her up. Can we talk about uh, people, you know, having conversations and not having conversations and about Ruby's, uh, you oh, know. Well, oh, we're, ha we're, we're talking about that right now. This is All the right. perfect time to bring it up. Yeah, because... Uh, Portia, I think you called it on Ruby, you know, and uh, shout out to my brother, Mellow Marketer, who said Atticus is the villain of this series early, <laughs> Call, I, called I, him out early as it, but I'm not sure, you know, it feels well, like we said. Well, with the Terminator shit happening right now, I've, now that making me feel like maybe he is. Yeah, but we all, I mean, we also have to say that, like we said earlier, we trust none of these moms. I don't trust no. not one. And Ruby especially, though. Uh Listen, I don't, I have said it before and I said it again. I don't trust Ruby nor Christina. I don't trust their relationship because at the end of the day, I, I feel like Ruby is still a means to an end for Christina. Mm -hmm. Even if they, even if Christina has developed some type of true feelings and they both have maybe have some type of true feelings, they are both textbook definitions of individualism. As, as Christina lectured Ruby about, you want it what you want it. And Christina's the same way. Christina will not stop until she's, Immortal. Like, just even think about that. That concept of a human being saying, I am not going to stop until I'm immortal. Like, Who even wants to be it, immortal? Like, why, why, and, her fa and she even says, I want to see 
a forever of first and all that. And it's just like, you wildin', man. You wild, like, it's just out of control. And and also just the fact that Ruby is falling right into the trap of Christina. Like when when she, when, when Ruby uh, lambasts Letty trying to make her feel stupid for falling behind Atticus and them. And I'm just like, I don't trust you. At all. At all. Uh, I do. I will say this, though, about the writing on the show. It is even when characters make decisions that I don't agree with, I understand them. You know, and I do the understand. Char- yeah, the characters are behaving true to themselves, and I understand why they would make that decision. Because I understand Ruby. Like, if somebody, you know, came around and was like, oh, you ain't got to deal with this bullshit no more. I might be like, word. And they kept their word. That's, yeah, what, I, that's I, what Ruby says. I they mean, actually, but like, yeah. and I mean, you know, bullshit on a huge level, too. You know, like, you ain't got to deal with this bullshit <laughs> of America. No more. Everything is good. You know, all you got to do is let that fuck boy over there die. Literally. She's over here Waterhead trying to pick Atticus. out. She's yeah. over here trying to pick out hair colors for her avatar. <laughs> She's over that, here trying to customize her Barbie. That's when like, I knew she was all in. She said she shut off the 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 she shut off the life support for her nah. sim. She yeah. shut off the life support for her sim and said, "Fuck them! I want a redhead." I said, "Oh Lord, she's in the deep end now." <laughs> Ruby is completely sold into this life. She this literally said, "She literally said, man, I don't know about this. You over here about to go for Atticus?" And then Christina was like, "How about I just only go for Atticus?" And she's like, "Only Atticus? Like you gonna leave my sister out of it?" All right, I don't care. Kill him. Kill Atticus. Kill the father of my sister's child. Now, I don't when care. You, now, when you think about it in in full Lovecraft Country world context, she not wrong, is she? Like, she don't really give a fuck about Atticus like yeah. that. Ruby. Ruby. I mean, no. Ruby. Yeah. She, no. And Atticus is trash. And he is. <laughs> like, he just, um, you know, his dad almost attacked her sister. Like, these characters make understandable choices. Yeah, but at the same time, though, like, I know like being a being a sister you don't be liking some of the dudes that your siblings be with but she then is. you sometimes though like you okay but you'd be down like kill like if your sister found out that you was ready like whenever it came down to the kill order you're like look i just said as long as you were safe i didn't care about if you died or not like are you gonna be fine with saying that to your sibling like i didn't care if your your person died <laughs> my, my sister might hear this episode but uh <laughs> Her baby daddy, I mean, no, you know, but some of the mother, if somebody's like, you ain't got to deal with the bullshit of America no more, Ben. And <laughs> you just got to let uh, homeboy sleep. <laughs> one of them cats, oh, it'd be no question, fam. Oh, my fam. God, don't say this out loud. You're yourself. <laughs> Moving on. Death Moving note on, on that, homie. No problem. <laughs> Moving on. We got to we gotta finish out the themes of the episode. There's just a few more. <laughs> oh, Can my you God. imagine if Ruby were Solange? Like, this is just hilarious. <laughs> Me just writing that out like <laughs> that's actually great Ruby as Solange. Ruby as Solange. Oh wow. Okay. Wow. Billion dollars on the elevator. Okay. Yeah. Listen, another theme that catch the fire and fire. This is huge. Mm-hmm. This this is played twice actually in two different ways. So catch the fire is actually the name of a poem by Sonia Sanchez. Mm-hmm. Sonia Sanchez. And uh, it, she's, a, she's an American poet, writer, and professor, leading black figure, black woman in the black arts movement. Um, she's been part of the, 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 what I'm trying to say, like, like she, she's a member of CORE, the Congress for Racial Equality. She met Malcolm X. Like she was part of the whole civil rights situation. She'd she, she, she been there. She'd been with it. 
Um, Ben had some great extra notes about this this poem, Catch the Fire, like where it stems from. Mm-hmm. It was written in 1994 as a, and one, I did not know that Bill Cosby had been on that bullshit since 1994, but it was basically a response to Bill Cosby's admonition or admonishing of the youth of black people saying that they had no fire. And so this is Sonia saying, you know, catch a fire, black people. And even in the show, I was kind of taken aback by the words of it. Like, I love Sonia. I love, you know, most of this. But when she's like, you know, catch a fire, but don't do that gangster shadow, you know. And this is 1994, so she's obviously talking to gangster rap music. And she's a huge fan of hip-hop in general. But I often feel that gangster rap is misunderstood and, you know, cast as this bad thing. So that was my one thing. And then my other question was like, you wrote this as like, oh, yeah, Bill, you're right. What about that? <laughs> well, so... <laughs> and uh, most famous people knew about Bill early. Might not have known anything, but people knew, man. And so it's, you know, it's interesting. This yeah. is, you know... Well, well, so the Catch a Fire poem, the, the voiceover happens when... After uh, basically Hattie, the grandma, the great grandmother, essentially agrees to die in a fire, and uh. and Letty, and that's an, another reason why this was so hard for me to watch this episode. Letty watches her catch on fire. Again, why I asked before, like if that was you as the ancestor, could you agree to that? Mm. But if it meant the securing of your bloodline, the securing of the future of your family, would you do it? Probably, her faith if made you real. were. Right. Um. Her. It's it's a lot. But yes, th- that poem started playing. The voiceover for the poem started playing. Um, the actual voiceover of Sonia Sanchez, and the uh, I wanted to read just just a quick stanza from it. Um, here we go. Where is your fire? I say, where is your fire? Can you smell it coming out of our past? The fire of living, not dying. The fire of loving, not killing. The fire of blackness, not gangster shadows. Mm-hmm. Where is our beautiful fire that gave light to the world? The fire of pyramids, the fire that burnt through the holes of slave ships and made us breathe. I encourage you all to Google the Catch Your Fire poem by Sonia Sanchez to really read everything about it and really interrogate the words that she's saying. And the way I read it, because I'm, I'm just reading through it, but she says it in a rhythmic way. So, so watch the video if you can. But she says it in a very rhythmic, rhythmic way. She employs things like haiku and 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 uh, uh, that that soprano sounds and things like that to to help put emphasis on her words so so listen to it and read it but the reason why i'm bringing it up is because this is essential to this episode of how your history helps make you who you are of how you have to use your innate abilities to uplift your family and community recognizing your power and in this case your blackness as your fire as as your your source of of progression and movement towards the future and you see this happening through the episode Using one example, Atticus, when he grabs that bat and he goes wailing on the white people and you hear the Catch Your Fire, you hear the the opera version of it, but you hear the Catch Your Fire song start to play. And the fact that he's doing this to secure the future of his family, to secure the future of black people. Um, it also makes me think of a, a very, and I've said this on Foral Nerds before, but a very disrespectful thing that has been going on with some people where they were like, oh, I'm not my ancestor. Mm. Let me tell you something. You are here because of your ancestors. You are your ancestors. Your ancestors fuck shit up for you. 
there and I know people try to equate that and say, well, you know what about the respectability politics people? That's that's not what I'm talking about here. Mm-hmm. Your ancestor is the very reason you breathe. So never in your life should you ever say anything so ridiculous. Mm-mm. Ever. Ever. Just wanted to make that point. Uh also about fire. The idea of fire as cleansing, as healing, as making a way for new things. You know, when when fire, the natural occurring fire occurs in a, in a forest, whatever, and it clears the brush, it, it makes way for new growth. Um, and there, and there's lots of allegory here. Um, and I mentioned Hattie burning right in front of Hattie, Letty's eyes. Uh, ben, you said it. Um, Hattie, Hattie had a comment about her faith becoming flesh. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons why she decides to just let history happen as it's supposed to happen is because she has this unwavering faith that she's like and and, and her grand her great triple great grandson or whatever that that baby inside letty's stomach represents that is the continuation of her faith mm-hmm. um there's also some other references that caught um my eye was Letty walking through the streets and the fire, the bombs dropping all around her. Her walking straight through the fire reminded me of one. It reminded me of the film Apocalypse Now uh, about Vietnam and the bombings that they show in that film. And also it reminded me of Letty being the phoenix, you know, and being reborn in this flame and walking through this fire and still surviving and coming out of the ashes of Tulsa, something greater and stronger through it. You saying through the fire gave me Shaka Khan, so. Mm. Oh. Mm-hmm. And, and also famously, uh, Kanye. Through the, the wire. wire, yeah. Yep. And also, there's a famous poem uh, by Delmore Schwartz where he has the line, time is the fire in which we burn, time is the fire in which you learn. And that's always struck with me, those lines, and... You know, that, that time is fire either way that you learn through it and you burn in it. You know, either way, we burn away through the passage of time. And, you know, it's also how we learn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and all of these, I, again, we have to say this is a, it's a masterclass in writing. Also, this series, there's mm-hmm. many series, is because all of this stuff connects with previous things that character has said. It connects with, with previous themes of, of previous episodes. The idea of fire connects with the dream that both Letty and Atticus have have kept having of burning in the Braithwaite Manor. But as we see now, Letty's invulnerable. She can come through fire and flame with no suffering. Uh, it connects back to I Am episode uh, with that fire song by Mother's Finest, the band. Um, and, and again, just the idea of, of fire being a force, an unstoppable force uh, that could be used for both growth and, and uh, sometimes to hold things back. Mm. Yeah, and we see a, a few, a lot, you know, the houses getting burned. It was just, it was difficult to watch. I, I just, again, a, a direction choice to l- allow us to watch Hattie burn in real time. Mm-hmm. I've like, never seen that before in my life. Yeah, and then her hand being safe because it was with, because it was in her, it was, it in, was Letty's in Letty's hand. hand. Yeah, and then the book also being safe because it was like in Letty's other hand. So it's like, who she's she's protecting like the legacy of the family because it's the oldest living person from the family and like their oldest like artifact and she was holding them both that one moment just a lot of overtones there Mm -hmm. lots of overtones and her holding the future of the family you know in her belly yeah yep 
and the book, you know, being the future of the family as well, because it's really the savior of the family. Misha, you are messing us up. <laughs> Misha, Shannon, everybody. Y'all are messing yeah. us up. Everybody involved, yeah. Oh, boy. Okay. And, and once again, that was like people talk about the terror, you know, and the horror in this series. And you see, like, the monsters are one thing, but the real monster all along, for black people at least, is dealing with America itself. And, you know, one of the most horrific moments of the series is not inflicted by any magic or any of that. It's just by, you know, white people being white people. Uh, Portia, you had a theme here that I would love for you to talk through. Yep. Um, throughout, I've been noticing as we've been watching these different episodes of this now episode nine of the series, like we hear heartbeats and really intricate different parts of the beats of stories. Um, and I personally like have found them like for this episode, I've heard them um, when William slash Christina is talking to the cops um, as he's like not healing from his wounds. Like you can hear Wilstina. Wilstina, right? Mm-hmm. It's hard because I feel like there's this <laughs> William, but also it's also Christina. It's also Christina. Wilstina. Yeah. Um, Wilstina is talking you, to the cops. <laughs> and, um, and then we also hear heartbeats when. Um, and we hear and see it in the movement of the portal. Um, whenever um, Hippolyta is like hooked up to the machine, you can literally see the portal like pump, like a heart. It pulses. Pumps. Yeah. yeah, it pulsates. And it kind of makes like a, a con- almost like a heartbeat sound, but it's like it moves like a heartbeat kind of like rhythm. Indeed. And um, then also we hear heartbeats when Letty walks through the bombs. Like you hear like the music and you hear the bombs, but you also hear like a faint heartbeat if you listen in a little bit. Could that be the heartbeat of her child, her unborn baby? Mm. Could be a lot of things. It's and and overall, the heartbeats and hearts signifies love, truth, the inner you. The, it could be a heartbeat of the community, of family. And all of the characters have embraced and combated these themes throughout the miniseries. And also, as I said before, black women are the beating heart of the universe. Thank you for coming to your TED Talk. Never forget. <laughs> Never forget. Uh, uh, rounding out with the themes, I just asked in bold letters, is Hippolyta ascended to a god now? <laughs> this is a miniseries, folks. This is a miniseries. Uh, that's what Ben Amin was, was alluding to when he said everyone's kind of a little powerful, or in gaming terms, everyone's a little OP right now. So what's yeah. going on? You know a little too much. How much further can you go with this story? Uh, Perhaps as a spinoff opportunity. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe yep. we get the adventures of Orinthia Blue. Number I'm one. Hippolyta Blue. Hashtag. Number one, how the fuck did she get back? Because technically the machine was supposed to be broke and it was still broke when they showed up. And there was no car for her to drive back with. What Hippolyta says that she was on Earth 504 for the equivalent for about 200 years when when they ask her, where was you, bro? Uh, And she talks about the infinite... She was on a place where there was infinite possibilities with infinite wisdom. And she's... And... That wisdom, that, that idea, and because I've only seen this in comics, that idea of having infinite power and wisdom reminds me of of just gods, of the ultimates and of the the what are the, the living planets and all this. All this stuff is just like, are you even human at this point? Uh, we saw that we saw in the I am episode that Seraphine or whomever implanted these crystals or things in her in, in Hippolyta's wrists. What they are, I still have no idea. 
And then she holds up a crystal at one point and says, I, I can use this to restart the machine. Like, who is she? What's going on? When she becomes Hippolyta Blue, uh, uh, this could it could not be a reference, but I took it as a reference. Her eyes turn white. You, you, her pupils are gone. Reminding me of the superhero Storm. And lightning bolts come out of her. Lightning bolts come out of her. Storm is one of the most powerful mutants in all of the Marvel Universe. And a black woman, and one of the few black women as well. Um, it's a lot going on here. Why five oh four? Ain't that the um? Ain't that the area code for Louisiana? You know it. I'm New just saying, Orleans. isn't there a whole like five hundred four boys? Like that's a yes. whole yes. yes, 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 yeah. I mean, uh, my my only you know digging into my you know getting my lines on the wall and everything. I was thinking about how, you know, Beyonce is from Houston and her mom is from New Orleans. Right. And so right. there's a connection. Right. Also, Blue, <laughs> Blue Ivy, okay? Blue Ivy. And if you know your mathematics <laughs> and your trigonometry. When the Blue say <laughs> she's there's no ceilings above her, okay? This Where is- did Hippolyta go? She went into space. There are no ceilings. Ceilings in space. <laughs> People say you just reach it, yo. But, gifts, but blessings, gifts. gifts. Uh, but yeah, that, that's actually a good point, Ben. Uh, I, I, when you said that, five hundred four, I thought of New Orleans. <laughs> New Orleans is a place of rebirth. It mm-hmm. represents a lot of things. <laughs> I mean, if that's what we call it now. It doesn't end. Like it doesn't I, I end. I don't know if I was reborn when I was in New Orleans, but you know, you can call it that. Listen. <laughs> I'm talking about there's a lot of spiritual energy in, in New Orleans. True. It's, it's true, a lot going on there. True. Um and and also just a point I wanted to make uh during that that comment when Hippolyta is first of all, she shows up like the fucking hurricane, comes through and says, Yo, we gotta go. <laughs> like she knows absolutely everything and she explains why, you know, infinite possibilities, all that. She says, and I'm going to use that to save my daughter. Now get in the car. It reminded me, it was, to me, it echoed Nawi's speech in the I Am episode where she says, now get the fuck up. Like, Nawi explains, you know, you have all of this learning and this thought and, and all these abilities. Now get the fuck up, as Ben Amin's beautiful sweatshirt says. Mm-hmm. Yes, 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 yes. Um, and also, again, why I'm like, is she a god? What's going on with her? What, what is she at this point? Because when she, con- to control the multidimensional machine, the multidimensional machine, Hippolyta says it requires a motherboard. Uh, in the 50s, and I, I, I don't know all the history of it, but in the 50s, I don't think they quite have that tech yet. So she explains that she can be a stand-in for it, a conduit, if you will. Uh, for those who don't know what a motherboard is, it, it, it basically processes the communication to all of the different crucial electric electronic components of a system. So in the case of your computer that you're using to watch us on right now, um, it connects all of the, the the central core processing units, memory. It can, helps you connect. It connects other things to your computer, like the reason why your keyboard's working with your computer right now, the reason why your mouse works. That motherboard is necessary. And in this story, Hippolyta is figuratively and literally the motherboard of the series. She is the connecting tissue for all of the characters of the show. And her return is the only reason that they can save Dee and the entire family and progress the story forward. Wild shit black women and, are the beating heart is what ben said be, i'm just saying there's a lot right now that is messing me up and finally finally last theme vampirism vampire ben was waiting to do that 
Uh, <laughs> I still say if Christina's a vampire. Facts. Uh, we talk about the idea of blood being lifeblood. It's rejuvenation of transformation. We see what was Uh It's explained that the blood of Dee's closest relatives is required in order for that, that spell to help reverse her curse to work or temporarily reverse the curse. Um, Christina shares with Ruby that Atticus's blood is a major component of her immortality spell and that she needs, quote, all of it in order to successfully uh, get immortality, which was I quiet. bet she does. Ben? Uh, <laughs> and also I, from a personal standpoint, every time I see William, Christina as William, he reminds me of Eric Northman from True Blood. Facts. Mm-hmm. And when I looked it up, like who the actors were, uh, Jordan Patrick Smith, who plays William, looks like he can be Alexander Skarsgård's fucking brother. Mm-hmm. They look just alike. So there's your vampire right there. And of course, Christina wearing that blood red dress, standing out very much throughout the episode. And even Letty's wearing a red dress. Mm. Mm. scary scary uh that is the themes of this episode uh as far as easter eggs and inspiration we already talked about a lot of them already we mentioned sonia sanchez and catch the fire definitely watch and listen to that poem as you get a when you get a moment another easter egg uh inspiration is the exorcist uh when d is in bed turning into the topsy demon they try to remove her curse um it, it just gives me shades of the exorcist where mm-hmm. you see that what her face really wild and demonic and then uh, Christina drawing the 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 curse out of her it just reminded me of of horror movies like Amityville Horror, um, the flies going all over the place. It, it, it was a lot. Um, Mike Pence, haha. Um, <laughs> according and and just and just to give you further context, according to some biblical references, like if flies follow you, it means you lack happiness, uh, or you can cont- and it will continue to be that way until the flies are gone. Some people say that flies following you is a sign that you should repent your sins and work towards redemption. Otherwise, everything will go wrong in your life. Mike Pence. And as we as mentioned before, Lord of the Flies, the devil. Mm-hmm. Musical notes for this episode include the song Avalon by Al Josen. The song My Baby's Foxtrot. Um, I think that was first played when they entered Tulsa in 1921. Um, the Don't Kill Dub. It says Rob featuring Sonia Sanchez. What, what it is is a remix of Sonia Sanchez's um, poem, of her mm-hmm. speaking the poem. Uh, and then the, it's called Tulsa 1921 Catch the Fire, which is the operatic version of the Sonia Sanchez poem sung, um, compo- uh, sung by Janai Brueger of the Metropolitan Opera. Mm. Very beautiful. So very that's, beautiful. Yeah, and that's heard as Tulsa is burning right during the end, during uh, Letty's walk down the streets yeah and janai Brueger, she is a black woman a beautifully gifted lyric soprano mm-hmm. uh that is it for the de- all the details we ran through so much this episode um and also we think this is this a, i think this is the first time at the end credits that the song isn't center man oh was it potentially because I feel like every episode, Center Man plays, right? Yes. At the end of this episode, they just continue the Catch a Fire opera. Ah, interesting. Now, what does that mean? I don't know. Could signal that we are not in Kansas anymore. It's a lot going on. Or Kentucky. Or Kentucky. I don't know where the hell we at. I don't know where the hell we going, but I'm intrigued. Thank you very much for listening to every everyone who has supported us, continues to support us. We appreciate you. Shout out to everyone hitting us up on the T Public merch page. That's tpublic.com slash for all nerds. Get your beautiful 
Get the fuck up. Maui. Design on damn near everything. Cups, books, pillows, masks, sweatshirts. Make sure that uh, you are following us on the socials. Uh, Again, uh, just first, follow For All Nerds on every platform, podcast platform that you listen to. That way you can listen to the Safe Negro podcast show. Also, make sure you're following us on social media. I'm at Tatiana King. I'm at DJ Benami. And I'm at Porsche. Excellent. Please hit us up. Let us know what you think. And you've been doing a great job at, at it. Tell us your thoughts and your, your, because uh, what you think is going to happen next and all these other things. Uh, make sure you, again, follow us, subscribe, and make sure to get out and vote. So important. Mm-hmm. Yes, vote. for real. Definitely vote. And make sure you are following us on twitch.tv slash for all nerds so you can peep the visuals and not just hear us. You can see all three of our beautiful faces and a lot of other things on that channel as well. That's twitch.tv slash for all nerds. Thank you very much. <laughs>